0: you're listening to flying sober this is a podcast about cultivating relationships and sobriety and stepping into self-discovery through love understanding and exploration the opportunity to learn about yourself through others starts now hello 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 my lovely listeners hi this is rachel and i'm your co-host jonathan So we hope you had a chance to listen to Mona's story last week because today Jonathan will be interviewing her husband, Neil, and you will be hearing his side. And just as a reminder, her story is also on the new website flying-sober.com under resources. You know, I could relate to Mona's story because I was that broken person, especially towards the end when my drinking accelerated. But I also know that I was willing to stop, just like Mona, and that is the biggest amends we could have given ourselves and others. I know that there is a lot of people out there that are involved with an alcoholic and, you know, they are waiting for them to change. Problem is, that's never going to happen unless they have that willingness to change themselves. In Neil's case, he chose to walk away from Mona, and it was probably the best thing he could have done.
1: Um, What's amazing about this experience is, and I've always wanted to do this because I found myself in this same particular situation, um, Mona... Is actually dating somebody who is not in the recovery realm, but I'm looking at him, and he seems to be married. a well put together, you know, human being. Married, and and they're married. Yes, <laughs> like marriage, that that M word that like scares <laughs> all of us, right? Um, so. Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Well, that's the
0: goal for most people. I just want to say that. So.
1: Well, it is the goal, right? Or some people don't have that goal, but you and I have that goal. Yeah. And some of our listeners do, too, and we want to see how you all do it. So, Neil, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, we were talking before we got the conversation started. You're from New York,
2: correct? Yes, yes. yes. I, I was born and raised in the New York City area, and I went to school at the University of Florida. And after I graduated, I went back to New York to look for a job, and wound up finding one down here in Miami. <clears throat> so I moved, after living after going back to New York for nine months, I moved back to Florida, but this time to Miami, and um, wound up working here for you know, my whole career.
1: Fantastic, and, and what, uh, what's your career? What, like- I was in
2: the insurance business. I was a, uh, an insurance broker for, oh, a, wow. for a large insurance agency in Miami. And I worked mainly in Dayton, Broward County, where, where most of my clients were. Oh, and I did that. I worked there for about 26 years. And uh, the company got sold. And I decided, uh, you know, so I had a little bit of equity in the company and decided I didn't want to work for the new owners. So I've been uh, I've been retired for the last eight years.
1: Man, that that's a long career. That's commitment. That's commitment. So you already have previous experience with actual commitment. And that's amazing. Um, So... How did you meet Mona?
2: Um, actually, Mona was an insurance company rep for one of my dental insurance companies. I, saw, I set up employee benefit plans for companies: group life, group dental, group medical, disability. And the insurance companies had representatives that would call on us to try to for and try to get us to sell their product to our clients. So Mona worked for one of the dental insurance companies, and she called on 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 our office. So that's how we met
1: fantastic so when you first saw her what, what was your first thought
2: wow this girl's, this girl's attractive <laughs> very pretty
1: you were sold yeah right she, just, she had
2: just moved from california she looked like the definition of a california girl
1: so how did that start you saw this amazing woman
2: she, she had just moved to the area and the existing the person i was dealing with uh at the time brought her in to introduce her to all the brokers and um they said oh yeah mona just moved here do you, you know do you know any guys i'm like yeah i'm i'm, I'm single <laughs> you know? you and uh but we were just friends at first actually she set me up with the girl that brought her in and um and mona was dating some guy who she, you know she wasn't very happy with after a while and um then then we started going out you know i took her out a few times for dinner we had a good time we had,
1: awesome so then how did how did the rest of the relationship? So, so then
2: and then uh, I don't know, we were, we were both dating other people, but we we're dating each other, I think, at the same time. Right. And then she wound up moving in with me. It was like around 2006, yeah. 2007, but she was drinking really, really heavily and a little started getting out of control.
1: So from your perspective, um, like what, what was that like?
2: when she was out of control yeah when she was out of control like <laughs> it, was, how, it, was, uh, it was it sucked
1: how'd that make you feel
2: terrible because she, she you know she was just belligerent she couldn't wouldn't listen to anything she just i was she wasn't working i was going to work every day and she was staying home drinking yeah i didn't even know she was drinking i just i didn't know what she was doing all day
1: you just knew that you were dealing with uh, somebody yeah, with she, erratic behaviors yeah, and
2: out of control and like we had we had fun but you know sometimes we'd go somewhere and do something and she just you know, go off the chain, you know, couldn't control her. I mean, that I was trying to control her, but she just wouldn't listen to a thing I said, you know, all right, come on, stop that. We're we're, going to do this. And she would just go off and do something crazy. And, you know, just got to the point where I was like, uh, you know, I can't, I I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, it was always another crazy thing going on.
1: So it was was basically like it was like you were in a relationship with Doctor Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right,
2: right, exactly. But she was mostly Mr. Hyde because she was always drinking. I mean, she would, you know, figured out a million ways to sneak, sneak the booze.
1: And then every time you guys got into like an argument or an altercation, um, like how would that play out? Like, would you? Would you, would you express your feelings and what, and what you kind of would, would hope for in a relationship, and then she would kind of turn it on you and kind of make you feel bad for feeling that way? Like, how did that cycle work?
2: No, I didn't really... I just told her you, can't, you know, can't drink so much, you know? Uh, you know, we're going to go out and see people and be with people, and you can't be getting crazy. You can't be worried that all the time that you're going to go out of control. And uh, you know, it just got worse and worse.
1: How'd she take that request?
2: You know, well, fuck you! I can, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, you know do whatever I want. Don't know? tell me what to do. Right, right, exactly, exactly. So then, And then it finally got to the point where one day, uh, um, oh, when you, when you, uh, wait, well, one night when your fr- when your friends were here. You were really trashed, and you just took off your clothes and ran in the ocean. And decided she was gonna.
1: Girl's gone wild, huh? <laughs> no, she did. No, she. She, no,
2: she was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, am I'm gonna drown myself. Wow. And I, I guess she really didn't want to do that, but so I had to run in the ocean and grab her because she was hammered. I was worried she would drown, even if, even though she didn't want. I don't think she really wanted to die. So I had to drag her out of the ocean, and she didn't want to come. It's hard pulling someone out of the ocean when you're in water above your head and they don't want to go and her friends were in town and they, I was like please help me I can't I can't I can't you know I, I, I'm, I'm, I've I'm, had it I can't deal with this anymore and um, <clears throat> oh and then you, t- you took all those those uh, those pills you remember Ambien Ambien no yeah. Xanax Xanax okay. I was at work and she, and she took a bunch of Ambien and was guzzling with tequila and and uh, called the emergency, and the 911 came, and they took her to the hospital and pumped her stomach. And uh, then I told her, I told her daughter, I said, I told her or her daughter, I said, that's it, she's out. You know, said so she. They packed her up, and she moved in with her daughter up in uh, Deerfield. Her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend, and her grand was your da- granddaughter born yet? No. Anyway, so she moved in with her daughter, and I was like, oh, thank God I got rid of her. That was that was an absolute nightmare, so I was <laughs> I got rid of that problem.
1: No, um, thank you for sharing that, because there's always multiple perspectives to, to any experience. And well, the I've,
2: problem was also I you know, you know I'd work all week, but on, you know on the weekends I wanted to party. You know, so it wasn't like I wasn't drinking. You know, and I had all my friends were parties, but everyone had a job and went to work all week. And then you know, Friday night we all go out and party, or, 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 or you know, do, or do you know, just go have fun. So she would join in with us, but then you know, there was no, there was no stopping.
1: Yeah, your party would start, yeah. uh, stop, it's, but uh, hers wouldn't. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I I go through this all the time, either working with others or reflecting on my own experience and my own behavior patterns. And I always try to think from the other person's perspective. I mean, Neil, that sounds like. Um, Dr. Seuss's worst nightmare. A lot of his writings were, you know, out there and obscure, but he made it fun, except yours was a complete nightmare. Like, it was kind of like this repetitive thing that just kept going and going until you finally just said, like, I, I can't do this anymore. Um, we know what it was like, so what's it like today?
2: Oh, it's much better. I mean, she's very, you know, very calm and thought out, and she really, she really works her program uh you know well she's a sponsor for like i don't know four people she has four sponsees and she's always you know being asked to be a speaker and doing these workshops on the, the 12 steps so she really works it hard and that you know that really helps her stay committed
1: absolutely now, do you see not only just the fact that she doesn't drink anymore, do you see what the program has done for her in transforming her into an actual human being that can be compassionate and empathetic and, and more in touch with your feelings and your viewpoint?
2: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. The program gave her the tools that she needs to deal with life. I mean, not just drinking. You know, when any, when any other problems come up, I see a lot of times she uses her tools to deal with, you know, other problems. You know, and not just drinking problems, and she tries to tell other people. You know, try to use that to help other people when they have a problem. You know, take a step back, take a breath, deep breath. Um, you know, it's you know, I, I, try, I try to listen to that myself because I, I get I, I can get mad quickly, um, but it's good it's good uh, it's good for me to see that because it slows me down a little.
1: And actually, that's funny. that was actually going to be my next question, like being with somebody with who has this spiritual toolbox and living this way of life and having that spiritual connection to something greater than themselves, how does that impact you on a daily basis and and does it inspire you to look for other outlets of spirituality? does it bring you connect more connected at home with what you had already previously believed like how does How does that work for you
2: um well, it makes me think about it. I mean, I see she's very spiritual, and uh, makes me think about it and try to become more spiritual.
1: Because we, uh, us in the program, and, and what we have to do just for ourselves to actually stay somewhat sane and connected, you know, it's tough for us that you know our primary purpose is to help other people, and we don't really sometimes we. We get put into these situations where it's not only just helping other alcoholics or addicts with their issues, but we get put into situations where we're influencing other people around us. And and it's a beautiful thing to see two people from two different perspectives and ways of life coming together with one common goal, which is to grow as individuals, but also grow as a couple, which is it's phenomenal Um, now for those people. Like, say, Neil, our listeners, there's say there's some listeners out there who, you know, are on the ropes of if they should date someone in recovery or they're dating somebody who hasn't made it to the path of recovery. What would you based on your experience? What kind of message would you say about your own experience on what you've been able to through with Mona and this whole process are there any encouraging words or insight you'd give on your experience
2: yeah yeah just stay stay with it I mean if you're with someone who's really working her program it's you know they're gonna they're gonna be fine and it'll it'll also rub off on you and make you make you better but if you really need to be with someone that you need them to drink with you <laughs> Then don't bother because you know if you get them to drink with you, they're doing them a disservice.
0: You know, I'd like to jump in, if I may. If you're looking for someone to drink with, you may have an issue, no? Well,
2: I know people who say, I can't do that. I, I have to be with someone who can drink.
0: I couldn't be with someone who didn't drink, and obviously I had a problem. I
2: think some people, like, I want my wife to be able to drink with me, even if you're not an alcoholic. I get
0: that. Drinking is a salvatory thing. Who wouldn't want to share a bottle of wine? It can be very romantic. And it may be a deal breaker for some if they meet someone like us. But if the relationship is more important to them, they may want to rethink that. Right. I have a friend who's not an alcoholic, and she has been married to a guy who has been sober for 20 years. And I remember on their wedding day, she did not drink. And it was shocking to me because I was drinking at that time. And to this day, she does not drink around him. And I asked her once, and she said... I can go out and drink with my friends. It's not a priority to have to drink around him. And I'm sure he wouldn't mind, but I always want to support and respect him. And that's probably why they've been married for 20 years. You know what I'm saying? But that may not be the case for everyone. It's like you said.
2: They want company while they drink. They want the other person to be drinking. Right. That's that's what some people want. But
0: at the end of the day, you got to decide the kind of person that you want to be with... With or without the alcohol. Right. You know, it's funny. That was one of my concerns, that I was never going to have fun with the other person. Then I realized, who cares? I have a hell of a lot more fun without the alcohol. And I don't pass out. That's the best part. (laughs) You get more of me.
2: Right. If I I met you and I didn't know that you were in the program and you started, you know, bouncing off the walls like that, and say, oh, this girl's drunk, you know.
0: That's funny. I get that all the time. So, I used to live here on Hollywood Beach, and I would jump into the ocean, drunk and naked, just like Mona.
2: She, oh. didn't, she didn't jump in to take a dip. She jumped in to make it look like she was trying to drown herself. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, unfortunately, I know what that's like. You know, it's for attention. You need someone to save you. That's the agony of this disease. Bottom line, if this person is working the program of recovery and they are important enough for you, are you willing to make the sacrifice?
2: Um, but if it's not, you know, if if, if you can live without that, then s- stick with it because uh, you're, you're with a good person.
1: Um, thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your experience. I mean, this... Um not only did I enjoy it but I know our listeners are, are enjoying it because it's funny we've had listeners reach out to us that are not in the recovery realm that are you know recovering from their own issues and what they're dealing with and to get multiple perspectives and multiple insights that really touch the masses and not just one specific sect of an actual um, population so we greatly appreciate your time and and we continue to wish you and Mona um, unbelievable and abundance of success. And thank you so much. Oh,
2: you're welcome. Thank you for, uh, for, uh, for, for asking me to be on your show.
0: Guys, this has really been an amazing experience. And I want to thank Mona and Neil for coming out and being so vulnerable with us. And uh, next week, we're thinking about bringing a therapist to discuss trauma and how it can affect and become the demise of your character over time. And that's an issue for so many people in recovery and even outside of recovery. So we're looking forward to the next episode. And don't forget to check out the new website, lying-sober.com. And you can leave us a message and the contact us link. We would love to hear from you on how we can improve this podcast or the new website. Love and light to you all, till the next time.